Uh, good morning, everyone. Good. I got a couple things for you. One of them uh, is kind of a reveal, something that we've been working on for a little while behind the scenes. Wanted to bring it out to you as the family and kind of show you what uh, is upcoming, in, especially when we move into the new building. And you also realize that during this year of identity, I've, be, I've been using the beginning portion as kind of a time to talk about who we are as a family. So I'm going to kind of combo those two, kill two birds with one stone, which now to come to think of it, that's a horrible analogy. Okay. As an animal lover, I've been using this my whole life and not realizing birds are dying every time I say that. That's terrible. All right. Anyway. Okay. So what we're going to talk about a little bit is something that we've been working on, uh, that we think is rather significant about trying to shape and clarify the identity of our church. As you look back uh, behind me on these screens, you're going to notice that we have our logo up there, right? Our, our pretty standard um, little diamond there, right? And then our Bridgeway Christian Church logo. Now, we love this logo, but we're going to change it. Now, we're going to change it for a very purposeful reason. It's not because this one was outdated. This one's only about, I don't know, two, three years old. Uh, we are updating it because we wanted to uh, put in the logo some of what God is doing and have it become very intentional and purposeful to speak to where God is leading. Would you like to see the new one? Looks like this. Why don't we throw that up? This is our brand new logo. Let me explain a little bit about that because for some of you, you're going to stare at it and you're going to go, I'm not seeing it. I don't understand. What are we doing? And, and we're even going to get up close and you're going to go, I still don't see it. All right. It's very similar to the 1990s posters that look like nothing and you stare at them for a really long time. And then all of a sudden you go, Oh my gosh, it's a dinosaur. There's not really a dinosaur in the logo. I'm just using it as an example. So I don't know how many of you have ever had to work on a logo, but you end up asking questions and doing things that you never cared about before. So I'm going to share some of that boring stuff with you because I had to go through it. If I have to go through it, you have to go through it. So here's a couple of things that actually are rather fascinating about design. When you grab a new logo, you have to come up with the idea of fonts. Do y'all realize that there are like 1 billion fonts in the world? All right. Why do you choose the font that you choose? Why do you choose the coloring that you choose? We have carried forward our Bridgeway Blue. We have always had blue as a part of our logo because design-wise, blue speaks to peace. Blue speaks to a soothing element. We want to make sure that Jesus Christ and the great hope that he brings is soothing to our souls. That's a big deal to us. So you've heard of Dodger blue. This ain't it. All right. All right. This is Bridgeway blue. Okay. Bridgeway blue. Now we, we have some flexibility on Bridgeway blue. We can go a little more slate. We can go a little bit more royal. Yeah. All right. Anyway, Bridgeway blue. A couple other things. When you grab a font. We chose one. The first one that this company brought to us, they brought up, had really sharp edges. We said, that's not us. Everything we wanted to have was rounded edges. Why? Because the whole idea of us being corporate and harsh and all that, that doesn't fly. That's not us. We have a lot more humor in what we do. We have a lot more personality and a lot more peacefulness and relaxation. So we said, you got to soften it up. 
The other thing, interestingly enough, is that as opposed to our prior logo, this time we wanted to make sure that Christian Church was all capitals all the way through. That's a big part of the identity of who we are. But the most significant change and the biggest piece I wanted to talk about was in the B. Can we zoom in on that B for a moment? Do you know what that is? Well, that's a bridge. What bridge is it? The Tower Bridge located in downtown Sacramento. You're going to go, now, why is that in here? I thought we were in Roseville. Well, technically, we're in unincorporated Placer County. Now, we are moving back to Roseville. When we first started, we were in Roseville. That's why our church name at the time was Roseville Hope, right? You all knew that because we wanted to be a light to the surrounding region. However, we very quickly realized that we were a commuter church, that we had people coming in from all over the place. When we moved out of Roseville, we had to change our name because unincorporated Placer County Hope sounds stupid. So we came up with a new name called Bridgeway. And what we did not know was how prophetic that would be. What we did not know is how much God would use us to build bridges with other areas, with other uh, cultures, with a lot of different tension points in the world around us. So what you'll notice is in this B, it's a road going somewhere. We've always been moving you closer to Christ. We've always been driving and heading forward. This church is designed around rattling your cage of trying to get you to move forward and constantly catalyze you to be more and more of what Jesus has designed you to be. But we wanted to put the tower bridge in there. Because we've always drawn people from Elk Grove, always drawn people from Sacramento, always drawn people from El Dorado Hills and Cool and all the areas surrounding us. Do you realize that just even on, up, on, on stage this morning, that two of the pastors that have addressed you live in Folsom? We actually commute in. I commute in a half hour one way all the time, all week long. We have always been a greater Sacramento region church, and we wanted to represent that because what happens all over our region impacts us. If there is a hurt and a break in East Sac, that matters to us. If there is damage or pain in South Sac, that affects us. We are a body of Christ. We believe that God disciples a region, and therefore we wanted that region to be represented here. Also, we believe that as we're training up all of you, you are then taking that into your homes and then being Bridgeway there, reaching out into your community and evangelizing the world. Therefore, we're all over the place. We are not merely in one location. What we have is cards for you to take home in the lobby. They have the brand new logo on that so you can stare at it and go, I still don't see the bridge. You can take a look at that, but here's what's really cool. On the other side, it has a listing of our five core values. I just want to remind those to you right now. Let's just go through those real quick. The first one, as we've been sharing with you throughout this year, the first one is knowing God. That is very, very critical to us. What do we mean? We mean pursuing an intimate, accurate, growing relationship with God. Each one of those words is significant, an intimate relationship with God. What we are not about is saying, yeah, there is a God. I'm sure somehow we're related. What I'm interested in is that is my God and I am his child. 
So we're talking about an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That is what we will always promote here. Number two, it's got to be accurate. We don't just get to make up the God that we want. We worship the God who is. Therefore, we've always been very strong in being in the word of God to allow him to reveal himself to us. It also has to be growing. We cannot say, man, I'm, I was super close to God in college when you're 65. All right. If you're 65, your chronological age in the Lord should demonstrate your intimacy and walk with the Lord. In other words, we're always growing and moving forward with God. Our second core value is this loving generously. What we mean is joyfully demonstrating God's abundant love. Here's what we will not settle for. We will not settle for, well, Jesus died for you. I guess I have to love you. No, 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 no. We are a people that want to love people. We are a people that joyfully sacrifice for other people. Number three, developing disciples. Here at this church in our philosophy, we have a core value to maturing and mobilizing followers of Jesus. Not only do you need to grow up, but we got to get out there and do something. So we are not going to be content with merely being more knowledgeable. We want to be mobilized throughout the world. Number four, building family, nurturing healthy relationships in homes and in the family of God. If our home is not right, we're not going to be right. If our church home is not right, we cannot impact the community right. Therefore, we must make sure that we are building strong families at all times. And number five, partnering missionally. Strategically aligning the body of Christ for the mission of Jesus. Over and over and over, you're going to see that that's inside the walls and that's outside the walls. We are trying to bring together the body of Christ because we're better together than apart. Amen? Amen. Can you all get behind this stuff? Praise God. All right. All right, we are in our third part of our Ecclesiastes series entitled God Meets World. And if we could just take out our Bibles, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 12. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under the seat in front of you. That's page 554, 554. Also, if you could take a handout sheet that was given to you at the front door, we can begin. I entitled today's message, What's the Point in Wise Living? And I want to dive into what we've learned so far. Real quick recap. This is our third part. What have we learned from this book so far? Actually, quite a bit. I hope that you've been as enjoying this series as I am. I'm learning right along with you. Here's what we've learned so far. The author of Ecclesiastes throws his cards right out front. He said, everything is vanity. Everything under the sun doesn't matter. It's meaningless. We learn that under the sun means a world without God, a humanistic point of view. If you take God out of the mix, this world has nothing to offer. There's no progress. Although there is fun and immediate value, there's no gain, no ultimate advancement in the world, no progress. And we found out that as depressing as that is, truth is truth. Either it's real or it's not. And we got to look long and hard into what this world has to offer, or we're going to keep getting duped by it. Then the author said, I'm going to go through an experiment. He said, I'm the wealthiest. I'm the smartest. I'm the right guy for the job. I'm going to go out and I'm going to analyze 
how this world works and i'm going to report back to you he said so i started out building stuff doing projects trying to make my mark in the world did that ultimately give me gain the answer to that is no he said then i wanted to get rich to buy stuff to make my life easier did that give me gain the answer is no he said then i tried entertainment sex pleasure laughter fun parties and alcohol did that work out no then i tried power and fame did that give me gain no why because temporary things can't fill eternal voids right temporary things can't fill eternal voids so now we turn the page and we start to shift in again i'm going to draw your attention to the fill in the blank in one moment but i would just like to see a real quick show of hands how many of you like me are bad at math all right praise god that's a majority all right for all of you, I have an exercise to go through together. It's a math exercise. You ready? This is going to go super well. Watch. Okay, everybody focus for a moment. Put on the old thinking hat. Here we go. Here we go. What is 127 times zero? Oh, all right, all right. How about what is 14 times zero? What is 36 times zero? What is anything times zero? All right, so far we're doing great. Right? This is the only math test you've ever passed. Oh, how cute. All right. Fantastic. Praise the Lord. All right. Anything times zero is zero. The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is more of this world isn't the answer. More of this world isn't the answer. If the world has zero to offer, then even if you get more of it, it's still not going to do anything. Because anything times zero is still zero. He's going to go further on into his analogy. Why? Because if more isn't the answer, then how should we navigate this world? Do our decisions make a difference? Is there a better or a worse way to live in a non-progressive world? Well, that's what he's going to find out. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 12, page 554. Just the first part of the first verse says this. Solomon said, so I turned, I shifted gears to consider wisdom and madness and folly. Now, maybe linguistically, it should be there was wisdom and mad folly. Maybe there's only two categories. I'm going to break it into three. Wisdom and madness and folly. Do our decisions in this life have any impact? Does it matter if we live wisely? Here's what it says. Let's say living in wisdom in this earth. What do we mean? Good moral living, human thinking at its best. Do you all realize that Christians are the minority in this world? Do you know that? I understand that maybe in this room it feels like we're the majority, and we certainly are in this room, but not in the rest of the world. And you go, yeah, well, you know, people in America, most people believe in God. I didn't ask if they believe in God. I said, are they Christians? Christians are followers of Christ. They're mimics of Christ, Im imitators of Christ. It means that at some point in your life, you said, I can't do this on my own. I'm wrecking my own life. Internally, I cannot prepare for my afterlife. I need a savior. I have a sin problem. And therefore, I throw up the white flag and say, God, you need to rescue me. If that is the case, and you've shifted over and made him the Lord of your life, now we're talking about Christianity. We are the minority. So what's the rest of the world doing? If the majority hasn't done that, 
What are they doing? Because here's what's weird about it. Look out into the world. Are people doing good things? Yeah, all the time. As a matter of fact, they're starting charities that are better than the church's charities. Uh, They're out there loving on people more than a lot of us are loving on people. There's an awful lot of nice, good people in the world. Some of them are living wisely. They're thinking about good moral behavior. Will that ultimately bring them gain? If they live out their lives very wisely, according to this world, will that make a difference? He said, that's what I analyzed. He said, how about living in madness on this earth? Here's how I would define that. Living as if nothing matters and everything is what you make of it. I call that madness. That you would just go around through life and say, all this stuff is bogus. Nobody has a clue what they're talking about. So I'm just going to close my eyes and just run. Is there any benefit to that? I don't know. He's going to analyze that. He said, how about living in folly on this earth? Living as if the world is here for your own consumption. You got to get everything out of it before you die so you can feel better today. That's foolish living. But does it really make a difference? And then he says this super cocky phrase, but accurate. He said this for what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. What's his point? You guys, I'm the king. He said, I am smartest. I am wealthiest. When I run an experiment, what are you ever going to do to do better than that? Whatever I come up with and analyze, that is the fact you're never going to run a better scenario than me. So Whatever I say, I need you to pay attention to. Is he accurate? Yes. But let me take it one step deeper. What can we add to this world? I mean, think about it. If you pull God out of the mix, what can we add to the world around us? So I'll run some examples. How about wisdom and experience? Can we add that to this world? Do we have a guarantee that whatever we learn from experience and learn from wisdom that the next generation will follow up on it? Doesn't it seem that every generation wants to start over and do it for themselves? I mean, it's not like you went, oh, did that not go well for you? Maybe we shouldn't do that. No, they go, well, it's different this time. Really? I mean, they look back at all the civilizations. Do you realize that there are massive civilizations bigger than our current civilizations that collapsed and yet we still continue to do the same stuff and watch civilizations collapse? At some point, don't you think we should probably learn from other people's mistakes? But we don't. All right. What about this? Can we bring any knowledge to the table? And you go, yeah, man, we've absolutely advanced technology. All right, I agree with you. But for what? Okay, let's say you are faster to get where? Let's say you are more efficient and you save time. For what? I'm still missing the meaning. No, no, no. Technology can help us, but it can only help us insofar as we bring something to the table or we actually can have some gain. Just being bigger, faster, stronger, smarter does not get us anywhere if we don't have any meaning. And not only that, but don't you think that a lot of our knowledge has been lost? Everybody agrees that Stonehenge was probably a big deal. Now it's just a bunch of rocks that nobody knows what to do with. 
What about things like the Mayan civilization? They have all this intense knowledge and then they're just gone. You're like, what'd they learn? I don't know. So even if you have a bunch of stuff, did you really advance anything? Well, yeah, we're, we're just better. Okay, why? And then finally, I guess I would ask this. Can we add any hope to this world if we do not bring God into the mix? No. If everything, religion and philosophy agree this world's going to end. Either we're going to wreck the planet or the planet's going to wreck the planet. Somehow this place is shutting down at some point. Okay? So what hope do you have to offer if it's not God? Hey, I want this world to be better for my kids so they can die peacefully. Is that what you're telling me? Because if there's no meaning added in, what are we talking about? He said, so I analyzed all of this. I'm just not seeing an ad. But then he says this, verse 13. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly. Hold up. Is he being positive? Like, remember in the most depressing book in the Bible, is he, are we really like accidentally seeing Mr. Positive pop out here? Kind of, but not really. He said, but there is more gain as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. What is he saying? He's saying, if we cannot advance, then this whole world is about management. We have a certain amount of meaning and stuff here. How do we manage it well? How do we move it around? Is there a way to keep our stuff? We can't add to it, but can we keep our stuff? And is there a way to lose it? Yes, there is. Wise people can take a look, see danger coming, see thieves coming, and they can prepare. Foolish people have no idea and they lose even what they have right now. You may not be able to add, but you can certainly subtract. And so we said, yes, in the management world, wisdom does matter because you can keep your stuff. You can get more of the same stuff here, but we're all just shifting it around. It's kind of like this idea that energy never really disappears. It just gets transferred, right? So the idea is the same with wealth, the same idea with stuff, the same idea with everything else. If you're getting more, somebody's getting less. We're just shifting stuff around. Like, 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 what do they, what do they say? Like, uh, rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic, right? (laughs) This looks nice, even though they all die. So the whole point is there is a benefit to wise living and decisions moving stuff around. And then he says this in case you thought he was being too positive. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. What's that event? Death. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool is also going to happen to me. Why then have I been so wise? In other words, what was all the point of all the effort, all the restraint, all those decisions? And I said in my heart, this also is vanity. You've heard this phrase, death is a great equalizer, right? Because you have rich guy... And poor guy, they both die, now they're just dead guy, right? And you have super famous guy and totally unknown guy, and they both die, now they're just dead guy. 
So literally, there is no ultimate benefit in this world. Even if you did wise living and everything was nailed down and you held on to everything, you die. That's it. It, it levels the playing field. He said, man, this is all ridiculous. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance. Seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten how the wise dies just like the fool. Without God, there is no value to be found in this world. Are people really forgotten? Are things that you do really forgotten? You go, well, hold on, hold on, man. My kids are in history class and there's a lot to remember, right? I mean, Jonas Salk, right, with a vaccine, Uh, What about Alexander the Great? Everybody knows Alexander the Great, right? I mean, he did stuff. So is everyone really forgotten? Well, here's what I think is ironic about that. You are basically standing in one of the most educated nations in the world. You have an opportunity to read about these people. Do you understand the rest of the world does not care? You know about them, but really worldwide, a lot of them don't know about Alexander the Great and don't care. It does not change their world. They don't know about scientific discoveries. Yes, you can go find out about people. But ultimately, is there anyone in this world that we hold up and go, they are the great, great ones that the whole world sees? No, it's very selective. Not only that, but how much do you have to be appreciated for it to feel significant? How many likes do you need on your page? Right? How many friends do you need on your website? For you to feel like now I matter. What is it? Do you need one quarter of the world? Do you need half the world? Do you need three quarters of the world? Because right now, nobody all cares about the same stuff. So is there any point in really making your name? The older you get, you realize how fleeting fame is. Who was a big deal before is not a big deal now. What fad was a big deal is now kind of embarrassing, right? Just think Aquanet, right? The guys are like, I don't get it. Well, if you had long hair like me, you'd get it. <laughs> Let's keep moving forward. I, I, this next line is, is awesome. You ready? Read it. We're going to make a refrigerator magnet of it. Ready? So I hated life. Yeah, right there. Woo, sell that in the bookstore. Right? You just have that right above your kid's bed at night. So I hated life, Ecclesiastes, right? A little devotional thought for you. And I think, here's the funniest part about it. He didn't say, so I hated my life. He's like, no, I hate yours too. I, I hate everybody's life. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, super frustrating for all is vanity and a striving after the wind. He's going to keep coming to the same conclusion. This world has nothing to offer. But we continue to live with one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of God and think that we're getting gain from both. Man, I'm in the church thing. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm all about it, right? I mean, I'm there every weekend. I'm listening even to podcasts, right? And I'm involved in a ministry. So I got it here. And then I look at the scheme of your life and we're putting all of our money into all the things the world says will fill us up. 
And so we're still playing that game too, right? So we're trying to play both games and we feel rather double-minded. I'm always reminded of how double-minded I actually am on Saturday. Because all of a sudden I come up front and we begin our weekend services and I have this reflection. Am I aligned right? How have I been living throughout the week? Am I prepared to demonstrate the word of God? And I reflect, wow, a lot of double-mindedness. Tons in the world, tons with Jesus. But why are they both living concurrently? That's not right. That's not how it should be. And so we must continue to repeat this to ourselves, to learn the lesson over and over. The world's got nothing to offer. Ultimately, if it has gain, it's going to have God in it. So we got to go after that stuff more and begin to root out the other stuff. So here's the deal. He says the world has nothing to offer. On that point, Jesus completely agrees. And you know that in this series, we're not just going to talk about how the world is. We're going to talk about, yeah, but what about Jesus? So Jesus says, absolutely, the world has nothing to offer. But from that point on, Jesus strongly disagrees. Why? Because he knows something Solomon didn't know. He knew that he brought value and meaning into life. In fact, the cross means that God can redeem anything that a Christian does and make it matter for eternity. So it's not that we just have value now in Christ. We have value forever in Christ. Did you know that there's something above the sun? And he all talks about under the sun, this, under the sun, this, under the sun. There's something over the sun. Have you ever read Revelation 4 and 5? Revelation 4 and 5 has this thing where John, a guy who's out on an exiled island, basically a big pile of rocks, and he gets this vision of heaven. God rips open the curtain and gives him this vision, and he sees the Almighty sitting on the throne. He sees the lamb who had been slain representing Jesus Christ in front. Everyone is saying, worthy is the lamb. Holy, holy, holy. There are creatures flying around the throne room, calling out the glory of God. He said, and I saw myriad of angels, innumerable, uncountable amount of angels. I saw this great tribe and nations of people all worshiping God at one time. As he looked into that, you realize there's something over the sun. That is more real than what's going on right now. Wow. Y'all know that God's not from here? Are we, are, we, are we clear on that? You check his license plates, not from here, right? How do we know that? Acts 7, 48, the most high does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet said, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. He's like, you want to talk about heaven, that super cool place that you saw? Yeah, that's my chair. You want to talk about your impressive earth? Yeah, that's where I put my feet on. I'm not from here. Did you know that Jesus isn't from here? As a matter of fact, he said it this way in John 6, I am the bread of life. I have come down from heaven. That means he used to be in heaven, came down, hung out with us, and then went right back up to where he rightfully belongs. He's not from here either. Do you understand that the Bible says to those who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If you are a child of God, did you know that you aren't from here anymore? Amen. You were born again. 
Yeah, praise God. It's okay to make noise in church. Praise God. <laughs> Philippians 3.20. But our, this is us, those of us that are rescued and saved, I don't want to assume on you, but what I'm telling you is if you're a child of God, it says our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It says that we are no longer from here, that although we live here, our ultimate citizenship with all its rights, with all its authority, with all its power, with all its connection, all of that resource is ours right now. That's crazy. Are we living like that so? And how do we get in there? How did we get in there in the first place? Let's say some of us listening to my voice, did you all realize that we have over 700 individual links coming in on our website every weekend watching live streaming? That means approximately between 800 and 1,000 people of our congregation are not even represented here. They're all coming in through the cameras. So let's say on top of all of that, of this massive congregation, we also have podcasting and people throughout the world and stuff being watched on video. Out of all of that, let's say some of you don't know what it is to be a child of God. How in the world are we going to get there? Because I cannot be okay if we're in and you're not. You have to be part of the family of God. So how do we get there? Would you turn with me to uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3? Go to the right in your Bibles really far. It's page 976, 976. Because while I'm talking about how we get there, it's going to be one of the strongest passages on our identity of who we are. So we're going to camp there for our remaining time. Ephesians 1, 3, page 976, says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord. So everyone here is a child of God, a Christian. Of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What does that mean? I don't know. I don't even want to get into a theological debate with you. What does it mean to you? And are you living like that? So let's say that you'll say, all right, the spiritual blessings are salvation. All right. Are you living like salvation matters? Let's say you can go a step further than that. Fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all that stuff. Is that a spiritual blessing? What is a spiritual blessing to you? Because it says that we have been blessed with all types of spiritual blessings are you living like a blessed person or are you still living like you're just scraping by are you living like you're still trying to get god's attention not that he's the one that blessed you and called you and initiated love with you right What I'm saying is we have to get our identity from here in our heads down into our emotions and our hearts so we can start living like it and let our bodies react to it. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Here we go, verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. 
What does that mean? Your identity is that you were designed out to be with God and he has extraordinary purposes for you. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. Are you allowing that to sink in? Well, no, I don't have a lot of purpose. No, I don't have a lot of stuff going on in my life. No, I don't have this. No, I don't have a lot of gifts. Everybody seems more talented than me, right? Is that what you're playing? Because that's not true. This is for you. And you go, well, this is probably for everybody else that's on stage. That's garbage. That's garbage. Are you a child of God? If you're a child of God, this is true for you. Period. Right? Keep going. It says this. In love, verse 5, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. That you are his kid. And I think being his kid is pretty awesome. I, I don't think that we're merely soldiers in his army. I don't think that we are merely servants in his kingdom. I don't think we're merely subjects. I, I, don't, I certainly know we're not slaves. So if we're children, are we living as children of the king? What does that even mean? Now, right? I think it means victory. But we keep going. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Are you walking around full of guilt and shame as a child of God? Then it's not appropriate. Why? Because it says he lavished grace on you. It wasn't a little bit of grace. It was a whole lot of it. Would you agree? That's what it says right here. So if we're walking around as if we're always trying to earn God's love, somehow we've messed up our identity. You are a child because he decided that. Right? And then it says this, verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, that's what we've been talking about, the gospel of your salvation, that Jesus came to rescue you, and you believed in him, you trusted him and lived as if he's legit, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire it. Amen? How much do you need to be reminded of this stuff? Every day, man, every day. Uh, I don't know how many of you have read my book that I wrote, right? The whole how to live in fear, mastering the art of freaking out, right? If you've read that book, there is a story in there that I just want to highlight. There was one time I was going through and it was a very severe uh, time in my life, a very severe panic attack. And it was at night and I'd already gone to bed, but everything was messing with my head. And I don't want to get into it too deep, but it was really, really bad. And I couldn't clear it. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't do anything. So I decided to go for a run. Uh, and I don't run. There's a reason. Anyway, but I do when I'm freaked out. Yay. Okay. So anyway, I decided to get up, put on my sweats, and I went out for a run. It was super cold at night. But my mind was so overwhelmed with fear and it was so confused i didn't have the presence of mind to think really intelligent thoughts i just had to repeat to myself simple phrases that were true about me so all i did as i jogged was say the same line over and over and over again i'm a child of god i'm a child of god i'm amen I had to remind my soul what was true because my soul was out of whack. 
I was so messed up that I needed to have a reminder, simple things, simple things. Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? Who is God to me? How am I okay? I am all right. Why? I'm his child. I'm his child. I'm his child, right? And so we bake this stuff in and I was trying to shift it from the top of my head down into my chest so that I could be all right. We need to be reminded of who we are. Let's finish it out in Ephesians 2.1. Just go one more chapter over. It says this. It says, do you remember where you used to be and how you got here? Well, let's talk about it. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were completely separated from God. Why? Because you used to walk according to the course of this world. You were just doing under the sun stuff. Under the sun stuff is not going to rescue you. It's over the sun stuff. Verse four, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ because it's by grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus now, not later. Amen. Amen. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, meaning you trust him and believe that it's so. And this is not of your doing. It's a gift of God. It's not the results of you trying harder and working for it. Otherwise, people would brag about it. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Man, that's good, right? So does what we do matter? If you're a child of God, you better believe it matters. How do we know that? I'll close with this verse. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that you're in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. You want to talk about vanity? That's not for the Christian. You want to talk about meaningless? That's not in a Christian's life. You want to talk about no purpose? That doesn't apply to you. Why? Because you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you and everything he does is good for eternity. Therefore, whenever you put your heart to advancing the kingdom of God, it matters. Therefore, even when you screw up, God can redeem it and make it matter for eternity, just like he did with King David, just like he did with everybody. That we need to realize that he is remaking us and reshaping us and refashioning us and recreating us every day. And that his mercies are new. And he goes, you got more grace for today. Come on, kids, let's go. Let's do this. And then we get excited and encouraged and invigorated and Every day we live with hope and purpose and meaning. Amen? Amen. We got to be reminded of this stuff all the time. Because we're buying what the world's selling and it's not good enough. Are you a child of God? Then you are blessed. Then you are blessed. Let's begin to live like it. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for rescuing us. Thank you for uh, healing us and walking alongside us, Holy Spirit. Thank you for indwelling us. Thank you for being with us and transforming us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Thank you for empowering us and giving us your authority and allowing us to walk as ambassadors and emissaries for you in this world that our citizenship 
that all of our resources and rights all are derived from heaven. Therefore, as we walk around this world, we look like everybody else, but we're not like everybody else because we have been transformed by you. It is not that we are extraordinary, for we are merely jars of clay, but we are filled up as vessels with the Holy Spirit and your power, God. Therefore, we are walking like a walking nuclear bomb of power and ability and purpose and future. And God, I just pray that we would receive in our identity your lavish grace. Receive your identity as children of God. Receive your identity as more than victorious. God, transform us today that we might live like we really are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.